Our goal is that no market will have less than 30% uh, managed care or capitation business because what we have found is once we hit that threshold of 30%, the physicians, all the alignment is there. That was Mike Butler, President in Operations and Strategy, Providence, and I'm Gary Bisbee. This is Fireside Chat. Providence is one of the largest two or three health systems in the country with the annual revenues of $25 billion, the same size as Starbucks, another Seattle company. Mike has been with Providence for 22 years in both administrative and financial roles. He'll describe how Providence went from near bankruptcy 20 years ago to a financially healthy organization today. We asked Mike about where scale matters and the necessity of managing risk. Stay tuned for his description of how and why Providence is deconstructing itself and why the commitment to housing for the disadvantaged. Mike is a highly engaging and knowledgeable executive. Here's Mike. We welcome Mike Butler to the show. Mike. Hey, good afternoon. It's good to be with you, Gary. Good to be here in Laguna Beach. <laughs> it's always good to be in Laguna Beach. Mike <laughs> yeah, and I are true. looking out in the Pacific Ocean right now. So, Mike, um, you grew up down here, Los Angeles, yeah. right? So, were you a, were, did you like the water? Did you get out and surf? What was your sport? You know, I um, I did a lot of sports. So, I was, I was born and raised in the East Los Angeles area. Right. So, I, I played baseball. I played football. Um, I surfed and skateboarded. Uh, I would say my favorite sport is surfing okay. uh, and the sport I actually still do. <laughs> I don't play a lot of baseball anymore uh, or uh, a lot of football, but uh, it's still my favorite sport, I would say, surfing. And it's interesting, having been born and raised here and moving to the Northwest, I immediately took on snowboarding. So I'm able to do that all the time living up in, in Seattle area now. So you spend time down here. Uh, yeah. You were saying roughly a third of Providence St. Joseph Health is down here, yeah. uh, Southern California, Orange County. So do you still get out and surf? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. As a kid growing up in East LA, I, I would take a bus down to Huntington Beach and ride my skateboard to go surfing. Um, and being blessed with the, the my time in Providence, the role I have, I actually have a second home in Newport Beach. Okay. Um, one block off the water. Okay. <laughs> at one of my favorite surf spots is growing up as a kid, uh, which I would have never dreamt okay. it would come full circle like that. Now, we're going to do a fireside chat tonight right. Mike, with the CFOs, so please don't be out surfing. You no. Gotta come. <laughs> There's no waves okay. today. <laughs> so Cal State Fullerton majored in accounting and finance. Uh, where did you develop that interest? You know, it was interesting. Um you know, I grew up in a you know average family, so I yep. didn't have a lot of choices for college. So it was it was pretty inexpensive, um, and um, you know, bottom line, it was I was always interested in math, and so when I just went to school, I decided that's what I was going to do, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I did. That's what you do. <laughs> what about healthcare? When did you become healthcare? I, you know, it's interesting. I, I tell my I tell people. Um, if you love me, you can thank my wife. If you hate me, I wouldn't thank her. <laughs> and the reason being is uh, I was dating her, and she was getting her degree in public health at Long, Cal State Long Beach. Yep. And I'd already had a job in a tech company, and I was bored to death. And I just, you know, she started talking to me about health care and what was going on with public health and how complex it was. And so, you know, this will age me. But back in those days, you know, I responded to an article, or not an article, an ad in the, in the L.A. Times for a company called American Medical International, yep. which was a for-profit. Yep. Wally Wiseman. And, yeah, yep. <laughs> I got a job there. So I, I give my credit uh, to my wife really directing me uh, into healthcare, and and it, it, and it served my needs almost instantaneously. I was at the at the corporate office um, and for six months, and then they asked me to go to be a CFO of a hospital. So I'd literally been out of school less than two years. 
And in the for-profit side, what was so great about it is they had a CFO and a CEO, and that was it. Uh, and so I really had an opportunity. I was assigned a third of the medical staff to get to know uh, them as people, what made them tick. Uh, and so what I really found was incredibly amazingly smart people to work with, incredibly complex because I love solving problems, and then obviously a great purpose. When your career has evolved, a lot of it seems to be kind of blending operations and finance, now strategy as well, of course. Together, did you do that consciously, or did that just kind of evolve? You know, it's interesting. It, it um, you know, it, it evolved. When I moved to I moved to Seattle 30 years ago, and I went to work for a, a guy that worked at, at uh, AMI, hmm. and we were brought in to, to turn around a small company called SafeCare and actually uh, sell it. And we ended up doing it. Is we actually turned it around in three years. We actually merged it. Um, with a, a company called Orinda Health with Charlie Martin and yep. took it public. Um, Keith but what was it? Part of that. Group. Oh, Keith. Yep. Oh, yeah. Keith and I are great buds. In fact, I'm going to see him next Tuesday. Very good. Um, so when I did that, that was for profit. So we didn't really have a COO. In many cases, didn't have a CSO. And then when I moved on, when I decided not to move to Nashville, I had to be close to the water here on the West Coast. Um, <laughs> I took a job at, at the Franciscan Health System, and my boss actually came from HCA. <laughs> and so when he and I came together and had to rebuild a new team, um, you know, bottom line, we said we really don't need an operations person or a strategist because we felt like C-suite builds strategy, makes strategy. Uh, and so it's kind of always evolved that way. Looking back on it, you spent so many years in the nonprofit sector, but looking back on those few years in the investor-owned sector, did you learn something there that really has stuck with you? Yeah, I think for me there, what I learned was just the discipline. You know, I mean, it was interesting. Every place I showed up after being in the for-profit, you know, didn't have productivity systems, didn't didn't have all the kinds of systems you need in place to run a good business. You know, it's interesting. I found the clinicians I worked at in the for-profit were awesome, just like the ones I work with here that had, you know, they were working for the right cause. Um, but I, just all the discipline, you know, it's interesting to think about where we are today. You know, 30 plus years ago, the minute the GL close was done, I got an email, you know, from the corporate CFO of, you know, here are the 10 questions and the data was there for me, you know, and Coming into the non-for-profit sector, it was hard to even get the data first on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So I think it was all the discipline. I also think um, I think the training and the investor own of, of how important physicians are to an organization and, and being assigned a third of the medical staff as a CFO, that really was awesome for me because it really allowed me to get to, to really understand what made doctors tick and how to, you know, how to engage with them and, and help them grow their practices, grow market share together. Yeah. So join Providency, kind of the original Providence. 21 years ago? Is that yeah, right? it was, I started my 22nd year on October wow. Did 1. Did you ever think you'd be? Uh, um, you know, first of all, when we moved to Seattle, my wife and I, it was three years and then we were going back. <laughs> okay, so so we made that missed that tenfold. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's interesting. I Going into it, I, I really didn't think about it from that expectation. Um, I always knew I wanted to stay on the West Coast and be in the Northwest. Um, and just the culture of Providence is why I'm a lifer. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an awesome place to work. So size-wise, Providence is now roughly $25 billion. Is that roughly yeah. the number? Same size as another Seattle company, uh, Starbucks, and right. actually one of the drug companies, Eli Lilly. I mean, did you ever, when you started 21, 22 years ago, think that you'd be running the 125th largest company? You know, it was interesting because when I when I joined, it, it was um, a bit of a turnaround. 
Um, you know, we didn't have regions. We were successful uh, in Oregon, uh, successful in Alaska, and, and really failing in the state of Washington and the failing in Southern California. In fact, when I joined, I had to, to sell two of our hospitals um, in Eastern Washington. I had to s- literally sell our dialysis company in Western Washington to make the last payroll of the first December I was there <laughs> because we didn't share money as a system then. Um, it was a testing you know. experience. Yeah, and then I had to... Um, you know, sell our hospital in Swede- in Seattle to Swedish. Now, you know, roll forward 10 years later, I got five back <laughs> on top of it. Um, but what was interesting was everywhere where we were left, we were number one in what we did. And the reason we had to, to downside was to be able to recapitalize in communities like Anchorage, Portland, Torrance, kind of on and on and on. Um, and we had an incredible product, an incredible um, group of assets and incredible physicians. And so, you know, John Costerwell, yes. he and I were, were a team and said, you know, we're, we're just going to start over and contiguously build this and begin to talk to everybody in contiguous communities about what's possible together. And that's what's really been what we've done, you know, and, and continue to do that uh, in everything that we do in the organization today. So Sisters of Providence, is that what the entity was called when you were Yeah, when there? I joined, it was called Sister Providence. Yeah. It quickly turned to the Providence Health System. Yep. Then we did a merger with the other Providence right. on the eastern side of the Cascades in yep. Washington. It became Providence Health System. Then St. Joe's became Providence St. Joe's Health. And now it's Providence, right. period. And in there someplace was Swedish, you mentioned yeah, before. Yeah. yeah, Swedish was never in the in the name. Uh, but, yeah, that, that was another. And then St. Joe's itself was probably, what, three or four or five uh, acquisitions or mergers yeah. to get to its size? I know Hogue was at least Yeah, Hogue, one, right? Mission Hospital, yeah. Laguna Beach. Uh, and a couple up in Northern Cal as well. What, just in terms of scale, where does scale matter? You know, um, I think it matters in a lot of things. Um, I think it matters in clinical performance. I mean, you know, it's interesting. Um, la- last year we had 74,000 kids born at Providence and no maternal deaths. Wow. Uh, our average cost to deliver a baby is under the, the average Medicaid payment. Pretty phenomenal. Congratulations. Uh, and I think our NICU days were down like 31%, so we're doing great prenatal care. So it, it's what we try to figure out, it, it's everywhere. you know. And so in that example, how we built that was not by employing every OB in every community, but by bringing them together and giving them the goals that we talked about. And how the doctors benefit from that is the market share that they gain. So I think it matters there. It matters in... in um, you know, in supply chain. Uh, I also think if you do it right, it matters in the quality of people you can bring in. You know, our goal is always to hire the brightest minds and the biggest hearts. Um, you know, and I think if you see all the people we've hired across the organization, whether it be on the clinical side in terms of the incredible clinicians we have out in the field, you know, all the way to finance, IT, you know, innovation, HR, uh, I think it's an advantage there as well. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier that you're actually deconstructing. Yeah, I think was the word you used. Can you describe? Yeah, that for so us, Mike? so what we stepped back about three years ago, looking how the industry was, you know, continuing to go more and more rapid towards ambulatory, the aging population, so the growth at home and community care. Um, as we continue to take on more managed care capitation, what we did is we said we're going to deconstruct the health system, and um, there are no sacred cows in this. And so what it meant is looking at our ambulatory care network services, so our express care retail clinics, our express care at Walgreens, our urgent care, our exercises, our ASCs, etc., of which we have about a $6 billion company there. And so we wow. literally pulled it all apart 
um, and uh, created a new management team that's accountable for it. Um, just to give you a sense, as an example, we have 73 ASCs, of which 48 were in joint venture. So we found insane complexity. Um, and what we said is this isn't just about you know, designing, you know, pulling them apart and running them better. It was about one, you know, an urgent care as an example, making it a profit center, not distribution sent channel. Two, it was looking at, at, you know, comp models, looking at governance models, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, what we're finding is if you start out and you search to bring somebody in to be an OR tech and, and work in an ASCOR, I, if you do it right, I guarantee you can hire them for six to eight dollars less than a hospital because there's people who want to do just that work. <laughs> uh, and then you got all these legacy, you know, hospital comp models. So it's all that. It's, it includes governance. So on our physician uh, enterprise, we now have a governance structure in every market that all of our physicians are accountable to. So they're involved deeply with comp models, deeply with contracting models, deeply with supply chain models, marketing, the whole nine yards, IT. You know, we used to take a million priorities in Epic, you know, and just go down and do them. Almost all of them are in acute care. Well, now we have dedicated resources, ambulatory care network, physician enterprises, and then home and community care. The reason that we dissected that one, which really was the first one, was just because it's such a rapid growing marketplace, and you don't necessarily even need to have a hospital or clinic to utilize it. And and we happen to have a great reputation and growth there. In fact, we think we're going to triple that in the next three years. Is that is that profitable? It will actually. Is that what's business that? profitable? Yeah, absolutely really? is. Yeah. And it's interesting because it'll in three years it'll be bigger than the Providence I started with our home care company. You know what I mean, it's kind of wow. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Um, so, do you think uh, just looking across the country, do you think that there will continue to be consolidation? Yeah, I, I you know I think there there will be. I I wish it would be being done differently. To be really honest, um, I think regional based systems are, are work the best. Um, and the reason I think that is is the ability to, to bring together like minds and like marketplaces. You know, like when we bring together our physicians for our clinical institutes, you know, it's from all up and down the West Coast, from neurosurgery to cardiology. A lot of them train together. A lot of them know each other. They're in the same time zone. You know, I was, I was talking, Amy Compton Phillips, our yes. chief medical officer, was giving an update the other day at one of our meetings that, you know, at 630 on Monday, Monday or Tuesday morning, we had 60 trauma surgeons on the table work, or on the phone working on a single contract. You know, you can't do that unless you have cohesiveness. And we really think the geography is much more cohesive than dealing with, you know, three other time zones, dealing with different cultures, dealing with different, you know, the way people went through medical school, et cetera. So, um, you know, we think uh, it ultimately needs to be to, I think, have more and more consolidated, but much more at the regional marketplace level where you have that contiguous ability to do the kind of things I've described. Right, and you were saying that you really feel it empowers the physicians, which Absolutely. is one of their problems if, if, yeah. if they can't don't you know, have and, a say. And, and that. what they want, you know, this day and age is they want to be with the system that, that wins the contracts, you know, so that they get, they're, they're doing less cases, you know, for fewer dollars per case. They want to have higher market share, you know, and that's what a lot of this stuff has been leading to. So, Mike, what percentage uh, across the board is government pay, do you think? You know, in our organization, um, I want to say it's about 68% right now. Um, so, it varies. I mean, it's, you know, we have one market that's, you know, 61% Medicaid. <laughs> uh, we have another market wow. that combined Medicare and Medicaid is 83%. So it varies by community. So it's somewhat higher than the national average, at least among our largest systems, yeah. is probably 55 or 54 um, but what do you think about 
the lack of pricing elasticity that that suggests, is that going to be a problem going forward? I mean, you're pretty much almost 70% of your revenue is basically public utility, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, I mean, if you look at at Medicaid and Medicare combined, I think we lose $1.5 billion a year. We've reduced it by about a half a billion over the last three years. Um, you know, what we think the the opportunity to get at that is, you know, continue to do the great work we're doing clinically, you know, around standardization, my example, you know, of OB reducing the cost of a delivery, you know, to Medicaid and yet being safer. Um, and then also just getting further up, up the food chain as it relates to taking, you know, the premium, you know. And so our goal is that no market will have less than 30 percent um, managed care or capitation business because what we have found is once we hit that threshold of 30 percent, the physicians, all the alignment is there. Um, today we range from zero to 78 percent, you know, and I can tell you where we have 78 percent, we make money on Medicaid and on Medi-Cal. Is Medicare. that Oregon with your You know, plan, actually the, the most – the most interesting managed care market in terms of success, in my opinion, in the country, one of them is in Fullerton, California here. Uh, and it's the Heritage Medical Group that started 30 years ago um, that is just completely dialed in uh, on this, you know, on this book of business and, and how to treat uh, these patients. And if you look at their, their, their organization, they have the highest physician satisfaction, highest patient satisfaction, highest net promoter score, highest caregiver engagement score, and uh, in our annual survey, by far the lowest burnout rate. <laughs> and then they they bait on pure uh, primary care they break even and then the risk pools you know add to that so more and more value based care you know and then i think you know i think there's opportunities you know to to take a lot of you know as i mentioned earlier we we designed the hospital system to be number 1 in every market uh, th- that's the same thing we're doing with the physician enterprise ambulatory care network and we found huge gaps um, you know, in the ambulatory care network where we think we can uh, grow dramatically. In fact, one, one marketplace, Puget Sound, this will blow you away, did a bunch of focus groups recently, and 48% of the people with commercial insurance are unaligned with any health system, 48%. Wow. And here's wow. a community that's growing by 50,000 people a year. Half the people yeah. are unaligned. Yeah, Good. and so that's the, high, the whole idea we have is we have this saying, 15, access within 15 minutes of 15 million people. Because uh, that's kind of our primary markets, and so we believe the combination of taking you know capitation, really managing the lives well, and the ability to grow much faster than our competitors will allow us to continue to deal with that dynamic. What, Mike, what about managing risk? Which isn't you don't learn that in medical school. So what do you do to help your both the physicians and you know all your people to learn how to manage risk? Yeah, you know I I think to a certain degree we've inherited it a bit. You know some of us have experience. You know the first hospital I worked at had a hundred thousand capitated lives, and I used to have to drive all the way to L.A. on a Friday to get my cap checks because of how bad things were at <laughs> HealthNet and Torrance. <laughs> but um, so I have a lot. Of, you know I've yeah. been through it all. But but if you look at at the Facy Medical Group in northern or in northern LA County, they've been in the business fifty years. They've been in it, I think, longer from a pure risk than uh, even Kaiser. You got Heritage, who's been doing this, you know, twenty, thirty years. Our health plan has been doing this for thirty, forty years in in Oregon. So by deconstructing the health system and having it under one person, we can quickly move, you know, all the all of the systems and structures out there. There's also great technologies to get a, a sense where you're at. There's a company called Roadmap. 
that goes in and, and ranks physicians from a scale of one to five, five meaning you're a, a pretty big time over utilizer. And to be able to be successful, we think you have to have a score of less than 2.74. All the markets that we're in except one is, has that, even though we haven't moved to risk-based contracting. So um, it's, you know, we're blessed to have all the systems and structures. The hardest part we have is convincing a plan to move us to the, give us the premium. Um, you know, and what they want is they want a, they want a price reduction on the front end. And I'd rather give a price reduction on the front end to get the premium if I know I can manage utilization down by 20%. Right. That makes good sense. It, Mike, this is kind of a, a, a question that's tough to answer, but I'll, I'll ask it, which is 20 years from now, do you think this model is going to be pretty much up and down the country with our health systems managing more and more risk? Or do you think it's more localized with systems like Providence that can actually do it? Um, you know, I, I think I think two things. I think it's an imperative that it get there. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, one of the things we're, I think we're going to be able to do also by deconstructing the health system, you know, I mentioned how we've deconstructed revenue cycle. Right. On the hospital side, you know, we're beginning to deconstruct revenue cycle around, you know, bundles, around capitation. We actually think we can take not only reduce utilization, but also take a ton of administrative cost out. So I, I think it's an imperative that this be the model going forward. I just don't think, um, you know, one, if you look at the profitability of the Medicaid plans out there and, and some of the Medicare plans, you know, all that is just going back to shareholders now. You know, all of that can be pumped back into the communities, you know, and to compensate, you know, you know, for the fee-for-service that remains. Right. So where does this leave the health insurers yeah, I mean, I think they're an unnecessary middleman in the long run. I mean, I really do. Um, you know, the, the the challenge is they become so big and well capitalized. You know, um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, you know, we own a health plan. It, it's very successful, but it's in one market. You know, we've done very well in other markets where we you know take premium and we've gotten the payers there. Over the long haul, insurance companies are intermediaries. They tend to get squeezed out in low margin businesses. Yeah. So twenty. 10, 20 years, you kind of think it's going in that way. What about um, a common term today is affordability? And that is part of cost, kind of a second order uh, of cost. So how do you think uh, that's moving in general terms in Providence? Are you thinking about affordability? Or yeah. You, oh, big time. Yeah. I, I, think the, the, I think the hardest part of, dealing, of managing affordability right now um, you know, is these high deductible plans. <laughs> Um, because it, what's happening is they're becoming, they're just shifting more of, more of the risk to the, to the patient, you know? And so affordability really is, is, has to go back to the patient. Um, you know, it's interesting just to give you one great example. My daughter owns her own business, you know, and so she goes into the exchange, you know, to get insurance and she's doing it as we speak right now. And, and I was walking through it with her the other day and so the cheapest plan she could buy is like a Molina plan. Well, it's like a $9,600 out-of-pocket. And then when you read the fine print, it's like, well, if you have a baby, you know, we only cover 2000 of the 10000 It's insane. So I think the insurance industry has really shifted all of the risk, you know, to, to the, the individual. And I think the challenge with that is they also know when they sign somebody up who can afford to pay the out-of-pocket and not, you know. And, and so, you know, the drive that we're trying to figure out is, is our affordability has to go as it relates to what's coming out of people's pocket. 
you know, and, and I, it's interesting. I think we're making great, great strides, um, you know, on it. Um, but I just think the way the model works with these the high deductible plans, it's no one's ever going to say there's affordability because it's right. I mean, it's leading to a lot of the discussion of Medicare for all and that kind of thing. I think right. underneath all of that seems to be affordability. Yeah. Uh, Let's let's wrap up, Mike, and thanks a lot for being oh, here. Yeah. This is terrific with the data issue. And a lot of, of health systems haven't really thought about data as an asset of the health system, either to help them modernize their own care or possibly there's some revenue potential there. I don't know. But what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think, you know— it- it's interesting. <laughs> I just ran into Amy, our CMO, a little bit ago, and, I, and I've learned okay. a little lesson this week. Um, you know, we started a company about five years ago called Multiscale, and it was these, the guy was actually the, the first chief technologist for Amazon. And the idea was how do you take an instance of Epic, mirror it completely, put it in the cloud, and then put 10 more instances of it and draw data out of it to make the decisions that, that we can be making faster. And the interesting thing about it was when we started this process, we created a joint venture company you know, six months into it, people like me are saying, well, why aren't we using it yet? And here we are five years later, and actually the technology works now. <laughs> and so I think the interesting thing is we want data, we want it now. I think we're going to have to learn to be patient on how it gets extracted. Um, but I think there's so many incredible great uses. There's We have all these small use cases that are just remarkable. Um, we just got to figure out how to extract it faster. You know, and I think the technologies are being built to do that. Mm. Mike, you're a great leader. Thanks for being here today. Good to be with you. Appreciate it. This episode of Fireside Chat is produced by Stratfire. Please subscribe to Fireside Chat on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Be sure to rate and review Fireside Chat so we can continue to explore key issues with innovative and dynamic healthcare leaders. In addition to subscribing and rating, we have found that podcasts are known through word of mouth. We appreciate your spreading the word to friends or those who might be interested. Fireside Chat is brought to you from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., where we explore the intersection of healthcare politics, financing, and delivery. For additional perspectives on health policy and leadership, read my weekly blog, Bisbee's Brief. For questions and suggestions about Fireside Chat, contact me through our website, firesidechatpodcast.com or gary at hmacademy.com. Thanks for listening.